Well, hello, ladies. Welcome to Shine. It's good to see you. We have, some, we have a veggie tray tonight so we can be healthy and then some yummy coconut macaroons that are really great and some lemon yummy yummies. <laughs> so anyhow, um, Barb is going to be doing the sound tonight, so we're not real sure what I'm going to sound like. Um, but we'll work it out, won't we, Barb? <laughs> Um, actually, you know what's really cool is we have the Greg and his team are back here, and they have a D group while we're here. So we have men on premise to protect us, and they're seeking the Lord and having their D group back there. And Barb's kind enough to do this so that Greg can go back and be a part of his D group. So thank you, Greg. <laughs> um, yeah, well, let's see. Has Did everybody find your worship lyrics either at the Road website or on the Road app? Just so you know. Pardon? Okay. Well, just so you know, they're there on the Road app. If you go, there, if you go to the Road app, it'll have shine and it'll have worship through it. Shine lyrics, I think it is. Or worship, one of the two. And Melody and Candace work that out. The, the worship team, Anna sends those in and... And they do their magic and they put it online. And so it'll be on the, the um, website as well. Um, this Saturday night is Steve's series starting the apocalypse about the book of Revelation. I know a lot of people are looking forward to that. So that's going to be fun. And then there's the 24-hour war room. Pam's not here tonight, but you can go online. You can go to the Road website. And if you want to, you can sign up. The uh, war room is a 24-hour, it's 24 hours of worship and prayer, and it's about the seven cultural mountains. Um, And those are business, government, media, arts and entertainment, education, the family, and religion. And so it's going to be a corporate, there'll be corporate worship Saturday night starting at 8, 8 to 9, there'll be corporate prayer and worship. And then they'll go into hour slots, and you can do one hour or as many as you want, there's Three young men, and they're doing all of them. They'll be a part of all of them uh, for the 24 hours. And then um, it'll go into Sunday, and it finishes up with another corporate prayer from 6 to 8 p.m. So I know Denny and I are doing from 3 to 4 on family. Jan, I know y'all are doing one. And who's, who else has signed up to, to be a part? Of, oh, wow, I'm preaching to the choir. I'll just move right on here. <laughs> um, look at our canvas. Isn't it beautiful? Do you notice any differences? Yes. It's taller. It's on a higher chair. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's building. Yes, we're building. Yeah. We have desire here. Who remembers what the desire, what was, we were talking about the desire. Is that a good desire in Genesis 3.16a or to control? I want your place of authority. Yeah. Um, yeah, helper, completer, we have hearts, and it's just, it's beautiful. I love this. I love it, I love it, I love it, Jan. Um, thank you for doing it. And then um, I was aware that Telios, where some of your youth are, they're doing a series on worldview. Isn't that awesome? I didn't realize that until today. And I just want to take a minute and pray for our youth because worldview, how many of you know there's a lot of worldviews out there? And God only has one worldview, and that's through Christ. So um, uh, let's just take a minute. Lord, we pray for Telios. We pray for 
um, for those who are leading it tonight. Is it the Bookers leading it? Does anybody know? Is Stephen teaching tonight? Okay. Do you know? Just mom. Just mom. <laughs> I meant to ask you that earlier. Lord, we pray for whoever's leading it. We pray that you would bless this time, that as they're going through this series, what has been said, what will be said tonight, and what will be said in the future about world, the worldview, we just pray that it would be downloaded within their young spirits to be, to draw them in to be the godly young men and women that you have created them to be, as we've been learning about um, through Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, Lord, that you have created the young men to step up and be the glory of God, and you've created the young women to step up and be the glory of man. And we just pray that they would learn deeply your word, the, the millennials, the young people today, um, they, they say they walk in the love of Christ, but they don't know what the word says. How can we walk in your love if we don't know what your commands are? You tell us that if you love me, you accept my commands and obey them. And so, Lord, may we not, may, may our young people live in such a way that they are obeying your commands, that they would know them and receive them and walk in them. We bless them and pray that their minds would be renewed in your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. We could probably take the night and pray for our young people. Um, Dina is kind enough to share her nugget with us tonight. And, um, yeah, we prayed, and I just really appreciate you sharing. And she has some things that are on her heart. And, and so, yes, yes. Here you go. Thank, Thank you. you, Dina Allison. Hey, ladies. God's good, right? All the time. Um, I guess I would entitle my nugget, um, God's got great plans for you, and don't stop praying for your dreams. Um, We, way back, had two little ones at the time that this all happened, or this started. Um, We had a two-year-old and a six-month-old. We had just moved from Montana to Maryland, and I found out I was pregnant. And I was angry. I laid on the bed when I got home from the doctor's office, and I cried and cried and cried. And my husband's apologizing profusely because we both know it's his fault. And and I just, I, I was trying to figure out any excuse to get around God's law and have an abortion. There was, I just did not want, did not need another kid. Um... And, uh, so I had an OB appointment and I get in the car that morning to go to the appointment. I had to drive from Maryland to DC to go to my appointment. And it was seven o'clock in the morning when I got in the car, turned on the radio and focus on the family came on. And it just happened to be a half hour drive. And it just happened to be 30 minutes of a show, a part one of a part two series, the joys of raising a large family. So I'm like, ah, crap. Um, So I get there. I get to the doctor's office, and it turns out they made a mistake. And my my appointment was actually the next day, part two of the joys of raising a large family. So I'm like, okay, I get it, I get it. My heart was totally turned around at that point. I was like, all right, I understand, I understand. Um, Then I went, you know, from not wanting any more kids. We had our boy and our girl to, okay, God, I really want to just give you complete control of this area of our life. You want control of everything, right? So I want to give you control of this. Um, 
my husband wasn't so on board. Um, he, you know, he didn't want more than we already had. So um, I ended up praying for 15 years for his heart to change. Um, it took a deployment to Iraq and, um, and a good 15 years of praying. And God, you know, thankfully threw in a couple kids along the way there. So just to kept me going, but I still wanted him to have complete control. I didn't want to, um, to use birth control or anything like that. I just wanted him to let us have as many as we, as he wanted us to. And so, um, when Tom was in Iraq, we found out that I was pregnant again. Um, this would have been baby number seven. Um, and, um, then I had lost that baby and, um, but my heart, my husband's heart had turned around. He's like, you know, let's let God just do whatever he wants. Um, few months after he got back from Iraq, uh, got pregnant again and lost that baby. And each time we'd go to the doctor and there was no heartbeat. We'd, they'd say, okay, let's wait another week, see what happens. So we'd wait another week, still no heartbeat. And I would find myself in the middle of the night, just on my knees, worshiping and praying for a heartbeat for this baby. Um, each time. And I, I've never felt like I could, um, be angry at God because I wasn't supposed to live past the age of three. So I figure every year after three is a bonus year, right? So, um, so I never felt myself angry even when we lost babies. Um, I just was so thankful. And one day, one night while I was having, you know, this prayer time after we had lost another one, God was like, I chose you out of anybody in the history of the world. I chose you to carry this child. Um, whether I give this one a heartbeat or not, whether you get to hold it now or hold it in heaven, um, just remember that you are the chosen one that's going to either usher this baby into the world or usher it into heaven. Um, and that was such a comfort for me. Um, and then, um, after um, another miscarriage, we found ourselves pregnant again. I went to um, the doctor and, um, well, the doctor previously at the last miscarriage, she said, you know, let's test some levels because I was in my 40s at the time. Let's test some levels and see, you know, how things are. And everything tested fine. She's like, oh, let's try this little trick. I'm going to give you some progesterone. Let's see what that does. If you get pregnant again, just start popping pills and we'll see what happens. And, um, and got pregnant again, started taking the progesterone and, uh, um, found a midwife that said, you know, she was a believer. She goes, I don't know what God wants to do. You're 45 who know, you know, according to all the other doctors that you've seen, you're too old to have children. Um, and so you're 45, I don't know what God wants to do, but I will do the best I can to, um, bring about a great outcome. So, um, so we ended up getting to go through the entire pregnancy and we appropriately named him Isaac because we felt like as old as Abraham and Sarah when he was born. So just, you know, don't give up on your dreams. Keep praying, keep praying, keep praying, keep pressing into God, because he's got such great plans. I mean, I sit and look at the dinner table sometimes, and it's like, how did this happen? You know, God is so much bigger than I gave him credit for way back when. 
Um, and um, so, yeah, if you do the math, our oldest son will be 40 when our youngest son graduates from high school. <laughs> so, but we've got this all figured out. By the time Isaac is 10 and still eating off the kids eat free menu, we can eat off the senior menu. So we're going to double dip all the restaurants. So. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Oh, that's a beautiful testimony of. Oh, yes. Flag, there's a picture of her and her daddy last September dancing and their daddy-daughter dance at her wedding. That was, that was the baby we didn't want. I can tell you found the picture. <laughs> that is so neat. You know, God's ways are higher than ours, aren't they? Isn't it? it it's just when we, can, when we can get on board with God and his design, the blessings that come are just so awesome. Thank you, Dina. That, well done. That was beautiful. Well, tonight is we, we start uh, the message about being a life giver. And, um, but before, the, just the beautiful design of life giving. And we'll get into that. It's physical, it's spiritual, in so many ways we give life. A multiplicity of ways. But before we get into that, I just wanted to share a little bit about <clears throat> from last Thursday night. Um, I just have to be transparent. It's hard to get up and talk about some of these things. Some of the things we talked about last week, it's just, it's not real easy to get up and talk about them. And, um, you know, I understand some of your stories and some where some of you have been, some where you are right now. And it's challenging. I'm, I'm, and my heart goes out to you. I don't say these things to lift up a standard or bring any type of condemnation. But, ladies, if we don't lift up the word, what future do we have? Regardless of what my standard, what's going on with my life or with my children or where I am or where you are, we have to lift up the truth of God's word and his design. Or we have nothing to stand on for the future. There's nothing for our kids to stand on. So um, it is with fear and trembling that I come before you and I share some of these things with you. And um, I, I'm right there with some of you in the hardships of life with, with children, um, challenges, you know, walking through differences in marriage. And we have done that. We're at a great place right now. But, man, you talk about opposites. Uh, some personality tests pegged any eye as double opposites, you know. So there have been sparks that have flown, and sometimes they've created flames, and not, not in a passionate way, but <laughs> there you go, there you go. But anyhow, um, you know, it's, it's by acknowledging it, the, these dysfunctional behavior. How do we change dysfunctional behavior? Do we change it by ignoring it? No. We change it by looking at God's design and God's word and then allowing our spirit and our soul and our body and our life to align with his beautiful design. Come on in, Carol. <laughs> we must take our dysfunctional relations to the Lord. And this is, this is where we need to... This is where it's beautiful to have the D groups where we can process some of these things together. Um, it tells us to confess our sins one to another. Um, why? Because we all have them. Because we're all walking through things. There's nobody here that's perfect. There's only been perfect, one perfect one, and that's Jesus. 
So if we can take down the mass and we can speak into each other's lives, then we, can, we have the hope of growing in Christ and laying a beautiful foundation for our children. Um, has anybody ever noticed what happens to tires after you've driven on them out of alignment for quite some time? What happens to them? It pulls you one way or the other when it's out of alignment, but what does it do to the tire? Yeah, one side, and if it goes long enough, it'll wear through to the steel belt, and if you keep going on it, you'll find yourself with a blowout on the side of the road somewhere. And this is, this is what I'm talking about with our lives. In areas that we're out of alignment with God's design, it's like that tire. It's going to wear through, and we're going to have a blowout somewhere. And it's going to leave us stranded. And it's not going to bring forth the fruit that God desired for us in our lives. Um, you know, we're, we're here to go the distance. We're not here short term. We're here long term. Who, you know, we talked earlier, who gets married to get divorced? Who gets married to be miserable? None of us do. We get married for the long haul, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, and to work through those things. Um, You know, are we willing to stand for God's righteousness and His design? Are we willing to learn it and walk it out regardless of what the culture says? You know, I think we have to, each one of us, um, we can come to church and we can hear and we can sit, but we have to go before the Lord and say, Lord, I, I need your help to, because last semester we talked a lot about um, mental strongholds, mental thoughts, any, any thought or thought pattern that is um, juxtaposed to God's design is where we're that wheel that's out of alignment. And um, in order to, to be vulnerable to, um, to our honoring our husbands, uh, submitting to their authority that we talked about last week, um, and, a, and their authority that whatever Christ would ask, is what we would honor if there if a husband is asking something that Christ wouldn't ask that doesn't line up with the word we don't do that and I want to make that clear there were the codependency the the different sheets that went out last week I don't know if we have any more of those if you didn't get them um, do you know if we had any left Jan we may have some if you didn't get one get one from Jan I think it may be posted on the shine website I'm not sure but we are accountable to God with the truth of God's word regardless of what what culture says regardless of even what if you've gone to a church that preaches something other than the word of god that's why we need to know the word and that's um that's why i'm so thankful for the covering the spiritual covering we have here that pastor steve his heart is to teach the word not teach from emotion or from experience or to teach from the culture but to teach god's word with for every part of life um, so when, when I got home last Thursday night after Shine, Denny and I were talking about some of the topics that we discussed um, last week about submission and, and Fifty Shades of Grey and some of these things. And, and, um, and Denny said, you know, the emotional is the challenge for women, where the visual and sexual is the challenge for men. And I thought, well, yeah, that's so true. And then he said, and then I said, exactly, this stuff is, is emotional porn for women the erotica, the romance novels, this type of thing. Um, they're getting emotional fulfillment in God's way 
in, in, a, in ways God did not discern or design for women to experience emotional oneness outside of the marriage covenant. Just as we see how devastating it is to us and our relationship with our husband, if they look at por- pornography, this whole thing of emotional um, oneness that they are having with other women is the same thing that women are doing when they're reading the romance novels, when they're reading the and watching the movies with the, the erotica, the Fifty Shades of Grey and that type of thing. It's an emotional oneness that's happening there. And um, it's just putting the shoe on the other foot. One is sexual, one is emotional, but they're, they're the same thing in the heart. Um, then Denny said, just like men look at porn and say, I wish I had that, women are looking at these romance heroes or not such heroes and saying, I wish I had that. Um, the truth is they are both porn. They are both being stimulated and giving their hearts to someone or something other than what they were intended to. Um, I remember like it was yesterday, but it was about 25 years ago. We lived um, in the south, uh, south in the Citadel area in Colorado Springs, and our kids were really little. We had two at that time. And um, Denny was working long hours, and the kids would play on the backyard a lot. And I would go out there because they were so small. Jared would run over Christy, so I had to be sure they didn't, you know. <laughs> the, the older one would run over the younger one. And, and we would be out there, and our neighbor... His wife worked during the day, and he was home with their son. They had two. They had a little boy that our two liked playing with, and a little and two little dachshunds. And and we had a chain link fence, and it was a good sized yard. And um, we would end up talking quite a bit because the kids were out playing and that type of thing. And and day in and day out, and he would say nice things, you know, about this or that, about me or whatever. Just not not a come on or anything, but just nice, very nice guy saying nice things. And then I found one day, I was going to get dressed one morning before the kids were up and going, and I was grabbing my clothes, and I had the thought, I wonder what he would think about this outfit. And it hit me. I was getting emotional satisfaction from this neighbor guy. He was so kind. He was so thoughtful. He said such nice, nice things. And it, I shuddered on the inside. I, I hadn't consciously been doing that. It's not like I had pursued that. But when I realized it, it didn't go away. It actually got worse. And I said, God, would you please forgive me? This is not, this is, this is not the direction I want to go. And I said, what do I do? I repented. I asked him to forgive me, but the thoughts were still there, and they they got more and more. And I said, God, what do I do? And he said, I want you to go and tell Denny and repent to him and have him pray for you. And I said, you've got to be kidding. Go tell my husband I'm dressing for the neighbor. (laughs) I'm sorry. And I asked him again in a couple of days, and that's what he said again. So he didn't change. And so I did. I went to Denny. I humbled myself. I told him what I was dealing with. And he was so kind. I asked him to forgive me, and he did. And he prayed for me. And it did go away. I never dealt with it after that. I was aware. I was much more aware of how this can happen in a woman. Emotionally being drawn in 
without even being aware of it. And it made Denny aware of some of my emotional needs that he was so tired. He, you know, it, it brought about a great change in our marriage at that time, a realization of what God was doing. So I understand the emotional draw of these things. I understand the emotion, the, the heart, the desire we have to be beautiful, the desire we have to hear those things. But it has to be unto the Lord. So when I get dressed, do you know who I ask? I'm, I think, especially today, I said, Lord, what should I wear? I was telling Christy, somebody stopped by out of the blue today, and after they left, I just, I felt like a black cloud had come over me. I couldn't think straight. I couldn't, I went to get dressed, and I came back down. I said, honey, would you please pray? He had just gotten home. I said, would you please pray for me? And we need to ask our men to pray for us. If you're married, um, if you're not, Come up and ask for your pastor or the, the shepherd or somebody to pray for you. We need to have that prayer. He prayed for me. He prayed over our home. But anyhow, I, I left without my earrings. It just, I don't know. I just, I had a hard time pulling it together tonight after that. Um, anyhow, uh, ladies, this, what I was just describing in Fifty Shades of Grey and these these erotica and romance novels and The Bachelor of of looking at, oh, oh, I wish he would, I would love to have that, that oh, what is, how do our men feel like? How would you like standing watching him look at porn? It's almost like we watch these things and we're ooing and gooing over these men. It's almost like them standing there watching us, emotionally attaching ourselves to them. And I just, I, I want to call us out on that because we, I want us to be women who are godly so we can truly shine for the Lord. It's, uh, it's about the fear of the Lord and walking in the fear of the Lord so that we have freedom, so that we have freedom of relationship. So thinking about if marriage is in its emotional and its sexual act between a husband and a wife is a picture of oneness between Christ and the church, then we are participating in idolatry if we're not faithful to our emotional and sexual covenant with Christ, whether single, married, or divorced. It doesn't matter. Our, our, our connection is first with Christ. It's first with the Lord. Then we can have the right emotional connection with, if we're married, with, with our husbands. Um, Denny said, actual visual porn that men deal with is accepted as wrong in our culture. But these romanticized emotional affairs women are having through watching TV, movies, reading romantic novels, and erotica is no different. In both cases, it is an affair of the heart. And in Matthew 5, 27 and 28, in the New Living Translation, it says, it's talking about adultery here. It says, you have heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And as I pondered that, let me just say, how I heard the interpretation in my mind. This is my interpretation. Any woman who even looks at a man with physical or emotional lust has already committed adultery with him in her heart. It's the same thing. It just looks a little bit different. It all goes back to the heart, doesn't it? Women, we need to examine our hearts and see if we're allowing our hearts to lust after another man or how he is treating another woman in a movie, a novel, or real life. 
If we're allowing our hearts to be fulfilled through emotional affairs with any other than the Lord or our husband, we need to cut it off. We need to ask for prayer. We need to talk to another godly friend, a woman friend, or go to an authority. Um, If you have a husband, go to your husband and talk to them. Sin. Here's a quote. The author is unknown, and you may have heard this before. It's one that I heard years ago. Sin will take you farther than you're willing to go, keep you longer than you're willing to stay, and cost you more than you're willing to pay. What would have happened if something would have cultivated between me and the man next door? How would that have affected his marriage? How would that affect my marriage? How would it have affected our kids? What would the story have been had I not said, God, had I not had a fear of the Lord? And so, ladies, we live not to please anyone else but the Lord. And if we will live to please the Lord, then it will bring life to all of our other relationships. Pornography from the Merriam-Webster says the depiction of erotic behavior as in pictures or writing and intended to cause sexual excitement. Idolatry. And this is what from gotquestions.org. And that gotquestions.org, interesting, the youth pastor here, it's his brother that actually does that website. I was just happened to talk to him one day out here in the parking lot, and I thought that was really cool. The definition of idolatry, according to Webster, is the worship of idols or excessive devotion to or reverence for some person or thing. An idol is anything that replaces the one true God, The most prevalent form of idolatry in Bible times was the worship of images that were thought to embody the various pagan deities. So it can be our job, it can be our husband, it can be our children, it can be education, or it can be of sexual nature as well. Listen to just these first two paragraphs of a lengthy article about violence against women on the Internet from the Harvard Law School. And then tell me if America has an emotional affair with graphic porn. This doesn't even cover the billions spent on romance novels and the erotica, all of that, um, predominantly by women. This doesn't even cover that part. The title of it is Pervasive, Popular, Profitable, and Private, The the Economics of Internet Pornography. The business of pornography, adult and child pornography alike, underpins and arguably sustains the Internet It has often been said that pornography is the only profitable entity on the Internet. Some distinguishing characters of Internet pornography are its profitability, accessibility, and popularity. In 2000, so this is 16 years ago, it was estimated that pornography was a $10 billion industry in the United States. In 2001, the New York Times Magazine reported that the $10 billion estimate is on the low end. Frank Rich writes an article for the New York Times Times Magazine entitled Naked Capitalist, There's No Business Like Porn Business, and noted, the $4 billion that Americans spent on video pornography is larger than the annual revenue accrued by the NFL, the NBA, and the Major League Baseball. But that's literally not the half of it. The porn business is estimated to total between $10 billion and $14 billion annually in the United States. When you toss in porn networks and pay-per-view movies on, on cable and satellite internet websites and room 
in-room hotel movies, phone sex, sex toys, and the archaic medium of my own occasionally misspent youth magazines take even the low-end $10 billion estimate from 1998 study by Forest Research in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and pornography is a bigger business than professional football, basketball, and baseball put together. People pay more money for pornography in America in a year than they do on movie tickets, more than they do on all the performing arts combined. The link will be on there if anybody wants more about that. Now, this is, this is a hard topic, but it doesn't go away by not talking about it. And I want to bring it up because our sexuality is very much part of our life-giving, and it is being very distorted. From the Covenant Eyes website... Um, uh, it's a covenant eyes. Y'all familiar with what covenant eyes is? It's a, it's to help monitor um, people's webs so that it sends links. Like if if somebody on your computers watches something that they shouldn't, you get the link and you know what it is. So it doesn't filter it. It just tracks it, so to speak. Um, some of their uh, some of their statistics that they had said 64 percent of Christian men. And 15% of Christian women say they watch porn at least once a month. 68% of young adult men and 18% of women use porn at least once every week. 67% of men and 49% of young women say viewing porn is an acceptable way to express one's sexuality. We have a huge shift, ladies, it is no more what Denny said. It's known that, that um, the physical, the sexual porn, we, we think that's wrong. We have thought that's wrong. But we have a young culture that's coming up now thinking, what was that, 49%. 67% of young men and 49% of young women say viewing porn is an acceptable way to express one's sexuality. Um, is it John Mayer? He's a singer, right, John Mayer? He can no longer, he, is, he has viewed so much that he cannot get satisfaction except through porn. It desensitizes. Among young adults today, porn use is not, is not the exception, it is the norm. Naomi Wolf, this is a quote I thought was quite telling. The young women who talk to me on campuses about the effect of pornography on their intimate lives speak of feeling that they can never measure up, that they can never ask for what they want, and that if they do, if, that if they do not offer what porn offers, they cannot expect to hold a guy. The young men talk about what it is like to grow up learning about sex from porn and how it is not helping to them, it is not helpful to them in trying to figure out how to be with a real man. For the first time in history, the image's power and allure have supplanted that of a real naked woman. Today, one of the quotes, one of the popular quotes is, a real naked woman, they're just bad porn. We've had a huge shift, ladies, and it's ground that we need to take back. Um, so, do you think by not talking about God's created design is helpful for the culture, for the church, and for our children. Is it awkward? Yes. But I tell you what, if we don't go there and if we're not talking about the truth of God's word and his design, it's a free fall. 
and it will continue to fall. So I encourage you, if you have children, talk to them about God's design. Share with them God's word. Um, sexual, sexuality plays a big role in our life-giving capacity, like I talked before. And I'm not here to talk about illicit sexuality. I'm just here to blow a trumpet and say, ladies, let's be intentional about learning God's design for sexuality. Let's be intentional about walking it out in our own lives. Uh, last week we talked about Ephesians 5, 14, where it says, For the light makes everything visible. This is why it says, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. When we wake up to Christ in the truth of his word, then we will see, we will see, we will have light in our eyes and we will see properly. You know, as far as submission, it takes a strong woman to submit to her husband. It's not a weak woman that understands submission. It takes a strong woman because any woman in her fallen nature can grasp, as we were talking last week about grasping at that role of authority and wanting that position. But it takes a woman who fears the Lord and submits herself to the Lord. And even though we have strong opinions, we will, we will, the submission is under the Lord first. Um, now, last week, um, we had a question from Philippians 2, 5 to 7 and 9. And that says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. So the question was, what did Jesus do that made his equality with God and his submission to God non-contradictory? And I think that we didn't, I didn't really cover it that well in, in the talk. So I think it left some of you scratching your heads like, what is she talking about? <laughs> and it's an important point, so I wanted to come back to it. And the answer to that question, um, he didn't hold on to the equality that he had with God. Because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're all one. They're equal. And we're equal with our husbands and our humanity, our value, we're equal but are we going to grasp at that equality to the point that we don't take on the role of Christ, submit ourselves, and take on that sacrificial role of submitting? And that's what it is. The same way Christ did is this to give life to us is what God is calling us to do, to give life to our husband and our families and those around us. So it's, um, it's a role of, of sacrifice. You know, we talk about men, sacri- sacrificial servant leaders for our men. We get the opportunity to play the role of Christ and be in a sacrificial submission and following. And it's not easy. <laughs> you know, it's not. But the men die to help protect us. Um, so let's look at what life-giving is. In the midst of the pronouncement of the curse, right in the midst of that, like a diamond stepping, stepped, dropped in the mud and stepped on in the mud, is this pronouncement, this beautiful gift God announces for women to give life. And it, it is in the mud today. Uh, giving life and having children in many circles is, you can do something better with your brain and your life. 
you know. But having children, as I've said before, doctors and lawyers and nurses are wonderful. If you are one, we need you. But can the world go on without that? Yes, but if women choose not to have children, the world will not go on. Humanity will die. Right here, God gives us a redo, a chance to bring life where we were the avenue of death. Let's listen to Genesis 3.15. It says, And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is stating that woman will be the means through which God will bring the conquering one. Um, This is also known as the Proto-Evangelium. It's the first promise of the gospel. So we see it all the way back in Genesis 3. We see God's promise of victory over Satan. And we, ladies, it was God's gift to Eve, to woman, to have that life come through her. Woman being a life giver is a prominent theme throughout the scriptures. God mentions again the woman will be one through whom life will come. So in Genesis 3.16a... In the, the ESV, it says, To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. And you think, what's good about that? <laughs> but there's a promise in there. Do you hear the promise? There's going to be pain, and we, we jump to that. But that means you will bear children. That means children will come through there. Adam must have been a man that opened... That, that operated in the gift of faith because after the heartbreaking news of Genesis 3, 14 to 19 about conflict, pain, sorrow, war, unfruitful toil, I mean, that's a bad day. <laughs> he focuses on the good news found in these verses of women being a life giver. And he looks at his wife and he names her Eve and that means all of the mother of all living. It means life. Eve means life. And Adam names her Eve. He believed God that through her would come conquering life. That's a man. Uh, maybe he had the gift of positivity, but he positively had faith in what God said. Genesis three twenty. Then the man Adam named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who lived. There's a list of twenty men, twenty women that Barbara and the five aspects of woman that she, uh, seven of them were in the messianic line. But I thought it was interesting, some of the life-giving women that have walked through some of the same things that we walk through today. Eve, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Leah, Tamar, Jochebed, Shifra and Pua, the midwives. Uh, my kids used to hear Pua and they go, Pua, Pua. <laughs> they thought that was a funny, it is a funny name. <laughs> but they were the Hebrew midwives that brought Moses forth. Um, Pharaoh's daughter, Manoah's wife, Hannah, Naomi, Ruth, uh, Jehoshabeth, Elizabeth, Mary, Lois, and Eunice, to name a few of these women who brought forth mighty men of God. Um, whether we are single, married, or divorced, this is, this is for all of us. Life-giving isn't just for women who have children. Life-giving is a part. Look at the difference in a little boy and a little girl. The boys want to blow the dolls up. The girls nurture them. You know, I mean, you see it. Even you see, you see it even in little, you know. It's in a woman's, it's in our design to nurture, to give life. Um, 
I've had women, you know, they say, well, this, this doesn't really apply to me. Um, and, and it does. Life-giving applies to all of us, and our world needs us to be life-givers. Several of, um, several of the ladies mentioned didn't actually give birth to the prominent men of the Bible, but were powerfully used to bring forth the men of God. You think of the Hebrew midwives. They were supposed to kill any baby boys. They gave life. I mean, they had to disobey they could have lost their lives for doing that. You think of Miriam, you think of Pharaoh's daughter. Um, whether young or old, single or married, let us trust the Lord and not give way to hardening our hearts. Life-giving is part of our God-given feminine design that is needed all around us every day. The only way we're able to give life is through us receiving forgiveness and God's love and grace for us. And then we're able to turn around and give that forgiveness and that love and grace to others. How many of you have really dealt with forgiving somebody? And when we don't, yeah, I mean, I think if you're human, <laughs> and we've dealt with that. But if we don't forgive, what happens to our heart? It gets hard. And then our countenance gets hard. And then we get brash with those around us. Only through compassionate, tender, nurturing, and loving hearts will we be able to fulfill this extremely vital role of life-giving. And when we do, our domain thrives. But when we wall it off because of unforgiveness, shame, or lack of understanding even, our, our domain, those that we love, they suffer. We suffer. They suffer. Barbara Mauser notes, The story of spiritual victory starts with women. With women. What they do in our generation determines the shape of the spiritual battlefield in the next. That's pretty powerful. Let me read that again. The story of spiritual victory starts with women. What they do in one generation determines the shape of the spiritual battlefield in the next. What standards are we upholding? She goes on to share that every major historical epic of Scripture begins with woman. If we went on into church history, we would be amazed how many great pastors and Bible teachers down through the centuries have been evangelized and trained by their mothers, grandmothers, and other life-giving women. To summarize, women, woman has the great role of life-giving because she is the one who starts life physically and nurtures it spiritually in every generation. Women, we are doorways. I don't know if you've ever thought of yourself as a doorway before, but you are a doorway. And the question I would ask is, what are your lives a doorway to? How... How is it affecting those that you love? Our words, our actions, our choices, our moods. We're a doorway. What are our lives a doorway to? Let's talk about our bodies a little bit. As a woman, God has given us the beautiful physical makeup of our feminine bodies. We all have wombs, breasts, and the gift of our reproductive system that gives us the ability to be fruitful and multiply those in our image and the image of God. Though being able to give birth to a baby is a beautiful way to be a life giver, it is not the only way. It's important. 
but it's not the only way. Our obedience to God is far more important than giving physical birth to a baby or babies. Many big family babies. <laughs> um, in Luke eleven twenty seven, as he, Jesus, was speaking, a woman in the crowd called out, God bless your mother, the woman from which you came and the breast that nursed you. I mean, you would think he's such a great man. And his response, I think, is interesting in verse 28. Jesus replied, But even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. And that's why you're here. You're hungry for the word of God. You're hungry to learn his design. You're hungry for fellowship with other godly women. In the final analysis, it is not our breasts or wombs that make us great, nor the virility that men take such great pride in. Not physical sexuality, but hearing, receiving, and obeying the word of God. This is what Jesus is saying here. And Isaiah 56, 3 to 5 is a testament to that. It says, I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. It goes on, but that's the essence of it. He blesses and it talks about the, the barren woman, that her, her children will be greater than, than those of the woman who had children because he's speaking spiritually. So this of the, the spirit realm is really imp- important. One of the amazing things about God as the master creator is he creates the physical to reflect the spiritual. Here is where we see a powerful example of how our spiritual and physical bodies reflect one another. For sure, our bodies are not the sum total of who we are, but it is is consistent with who God created us to be. And so let's, let's listen to this. Men usually have broader shoulders, right? They have, they have more strength. And uh, this is reflecting God has created them to carry heavy loads of responsibility in providing, protecting, and leading the family of, and the church while defending the truth and justice in our communities. So they, they, bury, they bear heavier burdens physically than we do. They also usually have bigger and stronger bones than women to carry the heavier loads that we struggle with. When they do, it is to a man's glory to carry those heavier burdens with, physical, with, with the physical and the spiritual. Um, have you ever been trying to open a jar of pickles or something and you can't get it open and you sit there and struggle with it? And the guys don't usually say anything. They're just waiting. It's like they're, they're watching and they're, they're not waiting to see if you can get it off. They're waiting to see if they have the opportunity to take it off for you. <laughs> you know. But, but they're waiting for us to say something and say, Honey, could you? They'll sit there and watch us struggle. You know, but all we need to do is say, Could you help? And they're like, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then sometimes it would, you, know, you have several men and the first one can't get it off. Well, here, give me that. You know, and then it becomes competition. <laughs> In the aspects, it says, on the other hand, he gave women softer lines, a more expressive face, cozier breasts, a body that can give milk, and a womb that can give life. This physical design is in harmony with our calling to be life givers, with both physically and spiritually. God has created our, um, our spirits and our bodies in harmony. A feminine spirit is a nurturing spirit, perfect for filling a feminine body designed as it is for life-giving in every way. Um, do you ever find yourself going in circles during the day? You kind of drive over the same roads, you wash the same laundry, you wipe the same noses. You, you know, it's just like 
there's been days it's like, actually, I've been around here twice. You know, it's, uh, this is, this really, this is almost like a, for us, and I mean, men kind of go out and then they come back. Women, we kind of do circles all day long. <laughs> um, it's kind of a picture of our lives that's consistent biblically and naturally of many concentric circles. This is the natural reflecting the spiritual. Maybe understanding God's, God's given design for some of these areas just might give purpose to what seems to be mundane sometimes. There are the non-public areas of our lives that are interpersonal spaces that we are to keep private and protected. Okay? These areas are between two or more people and for two and for two or more people. The first one, there's five of them I want to look at real quick. And the first one is virginity. In Song, in the Song of Solomon 412, it says, You are my private garden, my treasure, my bride, a secluded spring, a f- a hidden fountain. That's that's endearing. I mean, this is this is something that's very endearing between a couple. And for the single woman, 1 Corinthians 7:34 says, his interest, his interests are divine. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be vo- devoted to the Lord and holy in body and spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. Either way, single or married, this is something that we need to look at. And, you know, we we tend to talk about purity towards young women that are unmarried. But ladies, I think we need to, what we started with is symbolic of the fact that we need to be talking to married women about purity. Purity is important at any stage of the game. Single, married, or divorced, our purity is unto the Lord. Virginity is a sacred trust of the inner domain of a woman's body for her future husband and for the nation. For the nation? Have you ever thought of virginity being a blessing for the nation? Five aspects in there. It says the purity of a nation's, the purity of a nation's women is one of the greatest of all natural and human resources. The first time I heard that, I just kind of went, what? Because virginity is the gateway to two things of monumental importance. First, it is the gateway to a woman's capacity to love a man. And second, it is the gateway to a woman's capacity to give life to children. This gate should never be opened except in marriage. One of the most powerful ways we give life to men is through our purity. Our purity is really important, and we need to encourage each other in that. Proverbs 9, Proverbs 5, 9 to 12, um, it says, well, verse 8 warns to stay away from the immoral woman. And if you go to her house, you will lose your honor and lose you will lose to merciless people all you have achieved. Strangers will consume your wealth, and someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. In the end, you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body. You will say, how I hated discipline. If only I had not ignored all the warnings. 
May we look at God's word and see what his design is and what his warnings are so that we can not only be free ourselves in our relationships, but so that we can pass that on to our children and to those that are in our area of influence, that we can pass on that purity and pass on the fear of the Lord, which brings joy and peace. We talk about the fear of the Lord like it's a big downer. This is what brings joy and peace. This is what brings freedom in marriage and relationship. This is what brings strength to a people. Um, when women remain pure and hold out the life-giving boundary that any man, that, that life-giving boundary that any man that wants her heart, if there's a man, if you're not married and there's a man wanting your heart, there needs to be boundaries set out there that's life-giving boundaries. He must act like a respectable man first. This is one of the most influential ways women help men to step up to their higher nature God created them to walk in. But if we give in to their sinful actions, we enable their lower nature and take part in stunting their maturity. So when we don't walk in the purity that God's called us to, we really are encouraging men in their lower nature. This is when we see their virility and their vitality wasted, ultimately making the individual family, church, and nation weaker for it. Have you ever really thought of um, purity to be that powerful or the lack thereof? The next one is, is lovemaking. Um, my notes will be online. We don't have time to go through all of this. Um, is I'll just briefly say, is the next inner domain that women are charged to guard and cultivate that gives life. Song of Solomon 5, 1a says, the husband, I have entered to the husband says, I've entered my garden, my treasure, my bride. I gather myrrh and my spices in a honeycomb with my honey. I drink wine with my milk. In this verse, Solomon is describing the making, the making love with his wife as entering a garden of sweet delights. This delight is only for those who have the bond of trust in marriage. And both the husband and wife are protected. And out of that come children. Do you see the progression? Out of that come the children. And they come into a secure place of purity and strength and love. Um, the womb also is an inner domain that becomes an interpersonal space. Our first room is our mother's womb. This is a room to be guarded and protected, for here is where God is the master womb weaver. Psalms 139.13, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Um, Number four, the breasts for women are an inner space for her to guard and tend through which her encircling arms, these circles, nourish and comfort us all. We first know this sacred circle of bonding when we are born and are held and nourished at our mother's breast, whether breast or bottle fed. It is here that the human family finds the warmth and personal touch nurturing us through hugs, kisses, cuddles, and embraces that are so vital for us all. Then there is the mystery of the unequaled beauty and intoxicating power that God has given women in their breasts. Proverbs five nineteen to 20. 
She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman or fondle the breasts of a promiscuous woman? I don't understand it, but it is so. They are powerful and intoxicating to our men. It's a mystery. Believe me. To me, it's a mystery. But it is so, and we need to guard them and keep them as a sacred trust. The home is an interpersonal domain. Okay, we'll get over that one. The home, and this is the last, the fifth one. The home is an interpersonal domain that was first created by God and is the main area women give life. Titus 2 in verse 5 says, to live wisely and be pure. This is what the older women teach the younger. To work in their homes, to do good, and to be submissive to their husbands. As we, we desperately need homes that are loving and safe, a safe place to cultivate relationships in the security of warmth and godliness. What we talked about in the very beginning, we need homes that are secure places. We need homes that are life-giving. We need homes that are safe. We need to encourage our men to be the warriors and the protectors of our homes. And we need to come alongside them. And our purity is unto the Lord. Because the inner domain of the home is a unique place that women are divinely designed to cultivate in ways most men are challenged. We get to be the ones, ladies, who make our homes flourish. It's a sacred domain that's been given to us entrusted to us it's a treasure see it as a treasure there's no place like home the first institution was marriage marriage is the seedbed for all other institutions and the next one was the home these are foundational here are three terms used in the aspects that will help delineate areas of importance about housekeeping Housekeeping is, there's three, housekeeping, homemaking, and house building. Housekeeping is where we care for the daily routines that bring order to our domains. That's where we wash the same dishes, the same clothes, the same faces, the same bodies. The, we do the same things over and over again. Homemaking is an important job, whether single or married, whether, where we create a secure place for the rest, learning, and fellowship in a loving atmosphere, where we will find an array of beauty, good and nutritious food with books and conversations to stimulate encouragement and healing. And then there's house building from Proverbs Proverbs 14.1. It says, A wise woman builds her house, but a foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. How do you see your home? Are you a wise woman and you see the home as a place of sacred entrustment? Or do you see it as a bother and a pain in the tail? And why do I have to do all this anyhow? It's, it's an attitude that we take on. This is the long-term life work, Barbara Mauser says, of helping a man, creating and nurturing a family, whether yours or someone else's, producing wealth, earning a reputation, blessing the local church and community, strengthening the nation, and thus influencing the world. Do you see the home is a powerful place of influence? It is a mission field. Do you see your home as a mission field? Um, we... You know, we need to build homes that will stand on the rock of Christ and not fall in the sands of times. The sands of time. What are we building? 
we are in a, in a day where the dark is getting darker and the light is getting lighter. But um, what I want to encourage you in, ladies, is God designed you to shine. You are designed to shine, and I encourage you to allow the work of Christ in your own life so that you can shine and be the light in your home, with your children, in your neighborhoods, and in your communities. He's called us to shine. Um, there's two paragraphs here I want to read um, that I couldn't sum it up any better, and I just thought it was a beautiful uh, way that Barbara put it. I hope it ministers to you the same way it's ministered to me. Uh, this is the Five Aspects, uh, Volume 1, by Barbara Mauser. It says, The most important food is words. This is the life giver challenges. She says, Life-giving is anything which raises us above mere existence to life, that which is characterized by vitality, animation, interest, vigor, and joy. This can be done physically, socially, intellectually, artistically, and spiritually. All women are life-givers, whether they are mothers or not. One of the primary duties of life-givers is to feed people. (laughs) Food's important, isn't it? Our bodies eat food, hence nutrition is a logical focus of life-giving. What do our spirits eat? God's word is the ultimate food for the spirit, but all words are food. Do you think of your words? This is my question to you. Do you think of your words as food? What food are you giving? What food are you receiving? Proverbs says, Words are a healing tree, a sword, and a fire. Words have great power to nurture, to hurt, or to be like a medicinal balm upon the soul. We all speak many words every day and billions of words over a lifetime. Trashy, vacuous, silly, and obscene words are the junk food of the spirit. We should be training ourselves to give life to the spirits of those around us through good words. It's a training, isn't it? It's so natural to see the negatives. It's so natural to find, to pick out those. But it is a training to find the positives. It's a training to, be, uh, to find words that uplift and encourage. Um, she goes on to say, take inventory of your life-giving domain. So this is an inventory. All women should be life-givers, nurturing, encouraging, teaching, beautifying, and healing. Take inventory of your domain once again and ask yourself, where am I giving life? Who, who do I nurture? How do I do it? Wives and mothers, don't be weary in well-doing. Keeping house, preparing meals, encouraging your husband, loving and training your children, and all the hundreds of things you do to give life to your family and community from the base of your home, this work is essential and commanded by God. Single women, do not be deceived. You are created and called to be helpers and life givers as well. When you befriend, encourage, or nurture even one person, you are fulfilling your role as a life giver. When you help families, nurture in the church or the community, you are building up houses. All our skills, crafts, arts, and professions are means to channel life from God. 
to those around us. Do you see yourself as a channel receiving life from God and pouring it out to others? You are. You're sacred vessels. You're receiving God's life and you're pouring it out to others. As many varieties and versions of life givers exist as there are billions of women in the world, you are uniquely one of them. I pray this study will illuminate and invigorate the central core of your womanly nature. Isn't that beautiful? It stirs us of what, what is it that we're really doing. We need more who are building houses up for the Lord. Um, we need the Lord to do this, don't we? We can't do this in our own strength. And uh, there's a song that I want to play. And you can journal on the back of your page. So let's, let's do that. Let me, uh, let me plug this in and plug and play. So, Barb, are you ready for me? Okay. It's a song called, um, it's by um, Lauren Daigle. And Lord, I need you. Lord, I just pray that as we listen to this song, that our hearts would be open to you and what you're saying to us. I pray that as the ladies uh, listen to this and reflect upon what has come forth uh, tonight, Lord, that uh, their hearts would be encouraged and lifted and directed toward what is in your heart. So, Father, we take this time and we look to you to worship you. And after this, we will go into worship. And we just set that side of time to be holy unto you, Lord, in Jesus' name.